Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Let's pray. God, we ask that uh, as we open up your word, that you will um, speak to us, that we can hear you clearly. Lord, we, uh, we come from different places. We bring in um, different, uh, different baggage from the week, uh, from our life. We ask that during this um, during this service that you will speak to us, where we can begin to understand what we need to do, how we need to operate, and uh, ultimately how to get our lives at the foot of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Laurel or Yanny? Laurel? Heretics. I'm serious. My wife and I, my wife and I nearly got in a fight over that situation. He was just like, you know what? Stop lying. Stop lying. She's like, are you serious? Stop lying. So, ended up she wasn't lying. She was wrong. She wasn't lying. No. If you don't know what it is, Google it, all right? If you're lost on it, Google it. Laurel, Yanni, whatever. First Thessalonians, we're right back there. We won't close it today. Uh, we're only going to do half of it. This will be a very short sermon, surprisingly short, okay? So some of you are like, for real? <laughs> short like how short? Like normal or like short? Like, no, short, short, short one. Um, the, chapter's, the chapter is uh, split two different ways, and I mean, there's two parts to it, and uh, we don't have time to do all of it, which I would love to do, but tired of watching you sleep in here, so. <laughs> so we'll just do the first half, and we'll go home, we'll catch the next half next week. We should be uh, done with 1 Thessalonians. All right, let me read you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to read you the first... Um, 12 verses, 11 verses. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. 
Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is not the only place that we hear that Jesus will return like a thief in the night, which might I add, Jesus is kind of, that's kind of a strange analogy if you, if you really stop and put any thought into it. So Jesus, how will you come? Matthew chapter 24 tells the disciples sit down with Jesus privately and they ask him, okay, so talk to me about what's going to happen at the end when you come and you gather us up. What's it going to be like? Jesus' first words, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, setting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples say, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus' first response is this, watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus, when are you coming? Watch out that no one deceives you. I think there's some wisdom in this, and here's why. Not only because Jesus said it, but because if I remember correctly, something along the lines, there was a book that came out in 1987. It said, 87 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1987. Subsequently reprinted in 1988 as well. 88 reasons on why Jesus is going to come in 1988. No one knows. What's interesting about this is that you can tell that Jesus is a preacher because that's verse 3. Here's the question. When's it going to happen? For the next however many 30 plus verses, Jesus tells a whole bunch of stuff. And then finally he gets down to verse 39 or 38 and he says, well, um, or verse 36. But anyway, about the day and the hour, no one knows. The angels don't know. And then Jesus says, I don't know. I don't know. Can I tell you something? If Jesus doesn't know, you don't know, weirdo. Okay? You don't know. If Jesus doesn't know, you don't know. I can tell you this, though. As people age, here's the thing that happens. As they mature in Christ, here's the thing that happens. I sense more and more all the time that it's happening sooner and sooner. That's what it is. There's this thing, as you grow closer to Christ, it seems as if it's going to happen sooner and sooner. You begin to kind of catch this angst, this heavenly angst of like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, I don't know. Generation after generation and after generation, as long as I can remember back, the oldest people that I've known in church have always said this, I think it'll happen in my lifetime. Because in our mind, our lifetime is so long. Like we live to be so old. 90? I got a great-grandmother that was, I don't know, 92? Like, that's, that's it? No. It didn't come in her lifetime. Maybe it'll come in mine. But it seems like as we mature, we begin to catch this, this angst of like, maybe it's, I hope it's soon. I hope it's, I hope it's soon. But we don't know. Anytime somebody shows up and they say to you, let me tell you when I think it's going to happen. This is the moment that you should be like, okay. <laughs> Begin to just pull yourself back a little bit more and a little bit more because, listen, no one knows. No one knows. Jesus says, I don't know. The angels don't know. God knows. When will this happen? 
unexpectedly, we don't know. Don't know. Next question. Jesus' short answer is, I don't know. Only the Father knows. Well, how will it happen? How will this whole thing unfold? 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says this. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They typically don't call and schedule that. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, you're going to be home around, around 4? Going to come by and take all your stuff. Doesn't happen like that. You don't share a Google calendar, you know? There's no, none of that. There's no arrangements made. That's kind of what makes it a thief in the night is that it's, you don't expect it to happen. So how will this whole thing happen unexpectedly? What's interesting is that this is not the only passage to where Jesus is compared to coming like a thief in the night. Second Peter says this. Um, Second Peter says that he will come like a thief in the night. And along with that, sudden destruction will follow. Luke chapter 12 says, in sort of a parable way, it says something like, if, if the thief knew when the owner of the house was there, or if the owner of the house knew when the thief was coming, he could catch him. He would know. He's got to be alert. He's got to be aware. So how do you catch a thief? You have to be ready for a thief. You have to be alert and aware. You should probably understand your surroundings. So they ask him, so how will this happen? Thessalonians, they're asking Paul, we would like to know more about this. Paul says, this is how it will happen. It will happen like a thief in the night. Listen to this verse. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come onto them suddenly. So then what's going to happen when he returns? Destruction. Destruction, suddenly. Let me read you this verse from 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.10. This is a, this is a, I don't know that, I don't ever remember reading this verse and I don't know why. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So how will this happen? Um... Is scarily a word? Scarily. That's how I think it will, it will happen. Because it it's, sounds like a terrifying event. But what I like about this Thessalonians passage is he says in verse 4, But you, brothers, you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you. You're not in darkness. That's not where you exist, where you live. If you've taken your life and you've given to Jesus, you follow him with your life, you model your behavior after his, you are not in the dark. You are following him. You are what they call the children of the, children of the day or children of the light. So the destruction, is that, is that for Everyone? If Jesus is in front of me, I want to know when the destruction happens and everything is laid bare. Uh, is it going to hurt? It's going to... What about me? 
He says, no, 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 no. You who have given your life to Christ, this isn't for you. I'm not coming after you. I'm coming for you. So what will happen? It will be like a woman who goes into labor. There's no putting this train back in the depot. There's no stopping this sequence, this sequence of events. There's no taking this scenario and reversing it. It's over. That's it. This is, this is the end of the road. There's no making brand new decisions. Like, okay, 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 hold on, Jesus. Don't get mad. I'd like to take my life, and I'd like to recommit it to you. What do I need to do in this moment? There's no none of that. This is the end. This is the end. The next thing starts now. Short answer, what will happen when you return? Ruin, doom, destruction. The word that's used means the consequent loss of all that accompanies a complete undoing. A complete undoing. Have you ever seen those uh, videos of a car going down the road or like at a, at, a, at a racetrack and they get ready to run the quarter mile and they hammer down and when they do, the whole back end of the car just kind of comes off and falls apart. Quarter panels go flying off. Have you seen this kind of thing? Just comes undone. Things are just flying loose. A complete undoing. So the whole world and everything becomes completely undone in this deal. This is a, I'll be honest, this is a terrifying event. But see, there's hope. There's hope for the Christian. There's hope for the Christian because this is not just about escaping destruction or the complete undoing. This doesn't have anything to do with that. That is just a thing that comes along with it. You know, like when you order a chicken fried steak and sometimes you just get fries on the side. Escaping destruction is just this side part. That's not the main thing. It's a great thing, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is this. You get to walk out of this world and move into the next. And you get to spend eternity at peace with God and with others who have trusted him with their life. This is what becomes of us. Well, does this destruction affect everybody? No. That's the short answer. No, it doesn't affect everybody. But see, this is what's interesting to me. This is kingdom talk. If you go through the Gospels, here's what happens. And you begin to read. What is the number one topic that Jesus talks about more than he talks about anything? Any guesses? Anybody know? I'll tell you, second is money. Jesus talks about money. Second. Most of the things he talks about on the number two list, on the list of uh, the top, I don't know, five or whatever, number two, money. But number one is the kingdom of heaven. He always talks about the kingdom of heaven. Listen, Jesus left the kingdom of heaven and he came here, laid down limitless power to become like you and me. It's a good thing I wasn't Jesus because I would have let you burn. 
There's no way. I wouldn't have done it. He laid down limitless power. The pre-existent Jesus Christ lays down limitless power to come here and walk in our shoes with us and for us. Why? Because the kingdom of God. Because of the kingdom of God. Here's the connection. This destruction isn't about everybody. See, there is a certain group of people, those who have trusted Jesus with their life, who have, who have made a different decision inside of this life. This is the best way I can explain it. It's like a, this world exists inside of the kingdom of God. And what we see is this, this veil of just material stuff. Calendars, vacation, paychecks, um, children, schedules. Like this is carbon. Like we live in this world. But most of you heard something on the other side of the veil. You heard something calling you from the other side of the veil. Come here, come here, come here. And so while everybody else is doing what they do, getting caught up in all the trappings and distractions of the world, you started kind of getting closer and closer to the curtain, pushing yourself up next to this thing and like listening. Like, I think I'm hearing something from the other side of this veil. And people have looked at you and they said, uh, that there's nothing on the other side of the veil. Like, this is what this is. And you kept saying, no, there's something else. But I'm hearing something from the other side. Check out this verse. Maybe you remember this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each other with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Do you remember this verse? Encouraging them, comforting them, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. From the other side of this thin veil, God has been calling your name. Now listen, people can ignore it, and they do. And they march on with their life and they get caught up in the stuff and they try to go through what you would want to call a spiritual lobotomy to where you can cut that part off and I don't have to think about God anymore and I don't have to let it affect me anymore. I don't have to feel bad about myself anymore. I can just pretend like God doesn't exist and I can just continue to march on. It's kind of like sometimes when my kids will say my name and I will hear it so often that I will stop hearing it. Dad, 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 dad. Dad, I'm sitting there reading something. Dad, Dad. Did you, what did you say? For 10 minutes I said your name. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? Did you say, well, I was, I was, go ahead. Go ahead. And what we do is a lot of us have done this thing to where we just carve this part of our life off, selective hearing. We choose to not get near the veil and we just keep walking through this life, appreciating everything that's here and hoping he doesn't swipe in and take it all away. See, just on the other side of the veil is the kingdom of heaven. It's no wonder that Jesus would run away from the crowds and go off into the mountains and pray while he would leave his disciples because he was in this beautiful, perfect paradise. He stepped down to come here and then all he could do was think about what's there. And so he would go and he would talk to his dad, do I have to stay 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, do I have to take this cup? Do I have to drink it? I got no one with me. Even my best guys are sleeping on the job. Do I have to? Do you want? I'll do what you want, but this sucks here. It's no wonder that he always thought about that. That he was always sneaking off to go pray because, man, if I could just get a little taste of that, just a little closer to that, man, maybe, maybe this life would be better. And so he would go to that thin veil and put his hands on it, and he would talk to his father through this thin veil and just wish he could get on the other side of that, knowing full well he has a purpose in this world already. And see, for some of us, we get in that place to where we don't want to get near that veil. That veil to us means condemnation. That other world, that kingdom of God means condemnation. That means God's mad at me. That means that God's not going to forgive me. That means all these things. There's no grace. There's no mercy. It's just God's going to be angry at me. Let me, um, let me, um, let me encourage you. Uh, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. For he was tempted in every single way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, when I first read that, I always think to myself, like, well, that's a kind of a brag, isn't it? Oh, he was tempted just like you, except he didn't sin, you know? Except he wasn't like you. But here's what, I, here's what I realized. What it means is he didn't sin, which means he can take care of it for you. Because he didn't sin, he paved the way for you to follow in behind him and walk the road that he walked. That means you can overcome sin as well. I don't know, uh, Jared, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty locked into my sin. You can overcome it. You can overcome it. See, what happens is we hear this call on the other side of the veil that God is calling us to something else, to something more, to this other kingdom. And though that is an escape from destruction, what, what else it is is this thing that Life makes sense on the other side of the veil. Like, you have purpose. And see, a lot of us wonder this world, like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing in this world? I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to tell you about a conversation that I had recently. Now, I don't mean this conversation in a, in a, in a braggadocious way at all. Uh, I mean it in an encouraging way, in an, in an inspiring way, but also the fact that it was very affirming and validating to me. A guy shows up at the church here probably two weeks ago. I'm sitting at my computer. The door was unlocked. He comes in and he just, <clears throat> and he's right behind me. <clears throat> that cat and I kind of go into, hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, uh, do you have any help, any uh, people who are, who are homeless or are passing through or uh, don't have any food? Uh, Luke wasn't in the office, and Luke typically takes care of that. And I said, well, uh, the guy that helps take care of that, he's not here. I said, but, uh, I mean, it is, it's, it's close to lunchtime, and I was looking for a reason to not be in the office. So let's, we'll go have lunch. He said, okay. We sat down, we started talking. Um, his name's Tracy. 
And uh, we sit down, we're eating lunch. I said, so where are you coming from? He's coming from all over the place. All over the place. Lived in Oklahoma. I mean, everywhere. Um, we ate dinner. Very guarded. Very guarded personality. I mean, didn't want to tell anything that was going on. Didn't, didn't cough up any... There's no big confessions. It was no big. And I wasn't going to twist his arm. But he wasn't going to go anywhere because uh, I'm paying for lunch, you know. So he's stuck. So we talked. We got done. We got in the, got in the car. And I said, where are you, uh, where are you staying? He said, uh, I stayed here. I said, <laughs> obviously you did stay here. Where did you stay? I slept uh, under the tank. I said, under the tank? You know, the one across from the armory? It was nice outside, and so I was like, that's okay with me. I mean, sometimes, listen, bad choices can make you sleep in some places you wish you wouldn't have been sleeping, right? My responsibility was not to make him more comfortable. My responsibility was to help take care of what's going on. And I thought, it's nice outside. You can sleep under the tank, you know? I'm okay with that. I know that sounds really, really, really harsh, but I was okay with that. We have some more conversations later on that night. Um, go home, sitting there playing cards with my kids. My wife comes in, we're playing cards, we're laughing it up, and instantly, like I get this overwhelming feeling of like, we got to go get this guy out from underneath the tank. Well, I already told you how I feel about him being underneath the tank, right? I'm okay with it. I'm 100%. Life choices put us in places sometimes to where it's not good. I made different choices. I'm asleep in a bed. And I know this sounds terrible, but the Lord obviously felt like I was wrong. And so he's like, we got to get him out from underneath that tank. And I'm like, okay, that's Luke's department. And Luke ain't here. Holler at Luke, you know? <laughs> Call Luke, you know? He's the one with the church credit card, you know? He would go get him a place. I wouldn't. I'm not going. I'm not interested. Right there, my phone rings. I go to pick it up. It's Luke. Hello. Hey, what's up? So what are you doing? He said, nothing. I'm passing through town. So where are you right now? I'm at the church. I got to get this guy a hotel. Okay, well, I'll leave the credit card on your desk. Oh, okay. Great. Put some on my desk. I roll into town. I pull up into the little uh, drive through deal. Which I felt really weird, like, I don't know, it just felt weird. I'm in the dark, I roll down my window, and I'm yelling at the tank, you know. <laughs> Tracy! Got people like, there's, no, there's nobody over there. Like, Tracy! Yeah. He pokes his head out from underneath the, the tank. He says, yeah, like it was his address, you know. <laughs> yeah! I said, let's go get a hotel. Okay, he pokes his head back in his house. He grabs his duffel bag, comes back out, sits down, puts his shoes on, drags his bag out, throws it in the back of the truck, and climbs in. He's like, man, I just drifted off. I said, oh, sorry to wake you up. I said, why don't we, let's get you a shower and a bed and this kind of deal. All right, all right, all right. As I'm driving out there, I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of a hostage situation. Because he really doesn't have any, in the, any other way out. And he seems like a talented guy. It's like he could have some abilities in his life. 
It just seems like the conversation was smooth. He was witty. He was funny. He was comedic. He was considerate in conversation. He didn't dominate the conversation. And I looked at him and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, you, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to be with your life? What do you want? What do you want? I said, I don't know. I was trying to get back on my feet. I said, you know, I said, I need to tell you something. I said, when I look at myself compared to a lot of my friends, I got a really mixed up bag of gifts and talents. Because I think about some of you and what the talents and gifts that you have and the abilities that you have, and I think, I could never exist inside your world, ever. Like some of you have these abilities to do things and build things and, and think through things that I do not have, do not at all have. I got like this weird mix of like, I got a bouquet of flowers in this bag. I got a paint stirrer. I got a straight slot screwdriver, you know. And I'm, and I'm looking at the Lord with my gifts and my abilities, which seem minimal. I said, Lord, like, what do you want me to do with a bouquet of flowers and a paint stirrer? How much sense does this make? And the Lord's like, it's perfect. It's just what you need. I'm like, I'm a weirdo. Look at me. I'm a weirdo. I'm just walking around with it. So what do you do? I don't know. I just... I don't know. Just kind of stuck in, I don't know. I don't know. And I look at him and I said, I said, um, it took me a long time to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. I said, because I, I said, I was trying to chase what I thought I was good at in my own abilities. And it just, I couldn't make sense of the world. I said, until I got that Jesus piece into my life. And as soon as that Jesus piece was put into my life, all of a sudden I understood why I was carrying around the things that I was carrying around. So much more in my life made sense. Listen, I don't know if you've ever noticed in the newspaper, nobody ever puts out looking for a storyteller. No one. That's not a real thing. I mean, not here. And I could not make sense of what, what am I supposed to do? And so I'm explaining this to him. And out of the blue, he just stops and he said, I had a girlfriend once who had a boy who, who had autism. And the look on his face was one of surprise, like full surprise. Like all of a sudden, like something had kicked into gear. And he says, you know what I said? I studied that so much. He said, on how to teach kids with autism different things. He said, that's the thing that I... I spent so much time doing that. He said, and we actually made progress with this little guy. He said, it was, it was really good. He said, that brought me so much joy in my life. Man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, and he just got, I mean, alive, just came alive between Casey's General Store and, and the hotel out by the highway. He came alive, and he's talking about this deal. And I said, fella, if, if you feel like you're supposed to work with kids who have autism, like, you should go do that. Because that's not something, it's not like the market's just overflowing, people who want to be in that kind of work. You should go do that. And he's like, you think I can? If you love it, you can. Go. You should do it. He's like, man, I need to think about that, don't I? Pulled up the hotel. I said, uh, can I ask you something? He said, yeah. I said, am I good at my job? I wasn't fishing for a compliment. I'm just trying to make a point. Am I good at my job? He says, you know, we've had conversations all day long. You talk to me all day long. And you freaking don't shut up. You just yapped and yapped. 
all day long. You talk to me all day long. I think you're good at what you do. I said, I'm real good at what I do. And he says, uh, and he kind of chuckles. And I said, um, have you tried drugs? I mean, like as a lifestyle? He says, yeah. I said, alcohol? Yeah. I said, sex? Yeah. You try to do it on your own? He said, yeah. I said, how's it working for you? He just kind of put his head down. But I'm not one to leave things alone very well. <laughs> I said, let me tell you how it's working for you. It's got you sleeping under a tank in a town you don't know, getting accosted by a guy you just met. <laughs> it ain't working for you. <coughs> and he just kind of sat there and he kind of laughed and he was like, you're right. And I said, I want to give you another option. I want to give you another option, maybe one you haven't thought about. Have you been in church? He said, I went a couple times when I was a kid. I said, okay. I said, you're about to go into this hotel room. There's not going to be much reading material in there, but there's going to be one book in this hotel, and it's going to be in the drawer. I said, and when you get up there, I want you to get that drawer, and I want you to open it up, and I want you to pull this Bible out, and I want you to begin to read it. I said, here's the thing that I want to tell you. I said, without Jesus in your life, all of this stuff, all this wandering that you're doing and trying to find your place in this world is never going to end. He is the Prince of Peace, not this some sort of maniac of chaos. He's the Prince of Peace. He will put it all back together again. And I said, I'm telling you right now, I don't spend my evenings chasing dudes around with credit cards hiding under tanks and putting them in hotels. It's not something that I do. Luke May, I don't know what he does in the evenings, but I don't do that. I said, I'm telling you right now, Tracy, he's after you. He's after you. And he just kind of sat there real serious. And I said, when you get up to your hotel room, I said, I want you to pray. I said, I don't care if you've ever prayed or never prayed before in your life. And I want you to say, okay, God, here's the deal. If you start opening up doors for me, I'll start walking through them. And I'm going to take all my life and I'm going to give it to you right now. And if you open up doors, I will take the step through the very next door. And if you open the next one, I will walk through that door. And if you open the next one, I will walk through that door. And I said, you know what? The rest of your life will go very, very swimmingly if you just do the next right thing. And he looks at me with this serious look on my face and he says, who's after me? I said, Jesus is after you, son. Okay, okay, okay. That's what I thought I was thinking, but I wouldn't. I said, listen, he said, he's after you. I said, let's go in. Went in, got him a hotel. Walked him in. As I walked out, he followed me back out. And he kind of stood there, and I said, everything good? Yeah, he said, I, I just want to tell you thanks. Thanks for everything. Thanks for the talk. Thanks for spending the day and... Thanks for lunch, and thanks for the hotel, and thanks for the, for the bus ticket. I said, listen, I said, life's going to be okay. I said, if you get Jesus figured out in this deal, you get him plugged into your life, it's going to work. I said, if you don't, buddy, I said, you're going to fail. It's going to be bad. I said, but if you put him in the middle of it, it'll work. See, sometimes... We get so comfortable in the trappings and the distractions of this life that we forget that this veil right here from the other side, that voice is calling the people around us as well. Get him. 
Get him too. Bring her. Grab them. Go talk to them. I want them over here too. See, our responsibility is to make sure that we are on this side, hearing what is being said from the other side of the veil inside the kingdom of heaven. Because God is calling all of us to that place. But here's the thing. Not all of us get to go. See, there will be some who will absolutely refuse to be a part of it. But we have the option. We have the option. If you have not sat down and had that conversation with God to where you've said, I want to give you everything that I got. If you promise not to judge it and you promise not to hate me and you promise not to condemn me, I will give you all of it if you will walk through me and just open the next door for me and I can do this, I can follow you. If you have not had that conversation with God, then I want to encourage you to have that conversation. But I'm telling you right now that if you have that conversation and he begins to open up doors and you don't walk through those doors, there is a judgment that happens in your life. There is a judgment that happens in your life. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you step into that relationship with him and he begins to open up doors, you have to take the initiative and be obedient and be a man of your word and a woman of your word and do the thing that God has asked you to do. And I promise you this, there is a life of peace waiting for you. A life of peace waiting for you. But you must first obey. Got a buddy and all, he, he always says the same phrase all the time. That obedience precedes blessing. That obedience precedes blessing. You want good in your life? Are you doing the right thing? If the answer is no, then you can forget about the other. Do you want God to be good in your life and pour things out in your life and, be, and bless your life? What are you doing on your end? Are you obeying God? If the answer is no, forget about it. Obedience precedes blessing. You take those steps, and then God does his work. That's our responsibility.